Happy Monday, Liberty lovers. And before I get into today's episode with the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee for 2020, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, I want to make sure you guys know about everything we've got going on over on Patreon at the Lions of Liberty Pride. The money we get from Patreon goes directly into funding this show, into helping us create all the content we create for you guys, including all the bonus content we create exclusively for our Lions of Liberty Pride members on Patreon. But there's something I want to let you guys know about because it is a very limited time situation. For the last couple of years, we have had a great deal on our Patreon at the Aslan level, the $100 a month level, which got you a 60-second ad on one of our shows per week. That has always been a great value from the very beginning of launching that level, but it's a really great value now because we've grown so much since we first launched that to the point that we do have to raise the price tier for a 60-second ad through Patreon. So that level is now going to become the Lion-O level. That's right, Thundercats fans, the Lion-O level for $250 a month. You get a 60-second ad, including a bunch of other stuff, including the Do Nothing Man bomber jacket, which is really awesome. But I want to let you guys know, we do have a couple spots open right now at the Aslan level, the $100 level. That is going to convert into just a brief mention on the show. But for anybody that joins that level, between now and July 1st, you will be grandfathered in. You will still get a 60-second ad for $100 a month. That's $150 a month savings if you sign up or upgrade to that level by July 1st. So if you have a product to promote, a website, a podcast, anything that our libertarian audience, our libertarian audience that likes to spend money on products we recommend, I highly recommend considering joining the Aslan level before July 1st to be grandfathered in for a 60-second weekly ad on this program. Check it out at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, my guest today is a senior lecturer in psychology at Clemson University, and perhaps more importantly, at least for listeners of this program right now, she is the Libertarian Party 2020 presidential nominee. I'm very pleased to welcome back Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Dr. Jorgensen, are you ready to roar? I certainly am. Thanks. Wonderful. And you've already roared a couple of times here on this show um, during our presidential debate series, but this is the first time I've had the opportunity to interview you one-on-one. And one thing I really want to dive into with you to kick things off is really how you became a libertarian. That's something I dig into with, with all of my guests when I'm not uh, busy hosting presidential debates. So I really want to do that with you right now. Uh, if you could just kind of tick back the clock a bit and think of the first time you started thinking about politics and how you f- got first sent down that path towards uh, you know embracing libertarian ideals. Well, that's funny because first you said, when did I first know I was libertarian? And then you said, when I first became interested in politics. I see those as two completely different things. First of all, I was a libertarian before I even knew there was a libertarian party. And I was ecstatic when I was uh, living in Dallas. And I heard the um, the local Dallas person on the radio show talking about the libertarian party. And my first reaction was, oh, wow, somebody else believes what I believe. So I was just so happy that there were like-minded people and I wasn't the only one. So, and that was when I was in college. So the good thing is, is I never had to vote Democrat or Republican, (laughs) voted for Ed Clark next election around and been there ever since. And, and also, since you mentioned the word politics, some people have asked me, so I guess you ran for a student body president or a student council or something like that? And my answer is no, I never did that. I hated, hated, hated the idea that we had a few elite at the top 
making rules for the rest. I didn't see why we needed a president. So um, I never ran for that. And the Libertarian Party is so against that kind of thinking where we have a few people deciding choices for the rest that that's what, you know, that's why I was so excited to hear about our party. So what led you from, you know, just hearing about the party and hearing about the ideals to actually wanting to become actively involved? Because a lot of people get excited about liberty or might put their efforts into one area or, or another. Not everybody necessarily goes into the political end of things. So what made you sort of dive in head first and eventually run for, uh, well, I mean, now we're here where you're the presidential candidate, but uh, first you ran for vice president with Harry Brown along in 1996. Yes. And before that, 92 in the local house race, I think it was one of these things just I couldn't sit around and watch things go on without doing something. It's like, I, I kind of had the feeling of somebody has to do something. And I became involved in the party and they wanted candidates to run. And I just raised my hand and said, yeah, some, uh, somebody needs to do something. I will do it. What was it like working side by side, running a campaign with Harry Brown? Because uh, I first got into libertarian ideas or a little bit after the year 2000, just after his uh, last libertarian presidential run. Uh, but he was a huge influence on me. I've read a bunch of his books. And I just thought he was such a great communicator for liberty. So I'm just kind of curious if you have any insight uh, just from your end, what it was like working with him side by side. I mean, learning from him and that sort of thing. It was great. If there's one word for Harry, it's gravitas. He acted presidential. And if you were in a room with him talking, if he was just talking with you one-on-one -on -one after a meeting, you got the idea that yes, this man could be president. But even more importantly, of course, was his message. And that's what I'm fashioning mine after. Not because it was him, but because this, these were my beliefs long before I met Harry Brown, that we need to stick to our principles and not sacrifice a single principle, but present the ideas in a way that other people could understand. And Harry Brown, keep in mind, was a salesperson. He had a financial company. He would help people with their finances. And so he would ask people, you know, think, you know, if you had an extra 10,000, you know, whatever it was in 1996, what would you do with that money? Would you um, maybe, you know, send your kid to college? Would you get another car, go on vacation? And he would just get people dreaming. And the great thing is, is people walked away thinking, okay, that made so much sense. How did I just change my mind so drastically? Getting people dreaming. I think that's just something more and more people need to try to be doing when we're communicating these ideas. We need to capture people's imaginations and get them excited uh, as opposed to just, you know, scaring them about all the evils and ills of government all the time, which are certainly true and certainly there. And they certainly need to be informed of them. But you're not going to really convince people over to your side without getting them excited, without getting them, you know, like you said, dreaming. So I'm curious, how, you, how do you plan to do that with your campaign now that you've gotten through the liberty? Libertarian Party. Uh, how do you plan to take that message to the American people? How do you plan to get them dreaming and get them excited about libertarian ideas? Well, first of all, I'd like to comment when you mentioned about being fearful about how the other parties work about that. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they do. When we hear the Democrats talk, we don't hear anything about what they want. All we hear is get rid of Trump, get rid of Trump. And on the Republican side, it's we can't let Nancy Pelosi get any further. So it's always been what they're against, not what they're for. And I got to admit, a lot of libertarians have that problem as well. You know, I'm against big government. I'm against, you know, the dystopia. I'm against slavery. I'm against, you know, but they don't talk about oh, with freedom, you get to have the kind of education you want, the kind of education you want your children to have. You can live in a peaceful society. You get to spend your money how you want to, not how the politicians. So basically, I'm going to spread a message just like Harry Brown had, but I have the advantage of social media, which it was hard to break through that media 
bias in 96, and now we can go around it, which will be really exciting. Kind of curious how your background in psychology, how does that play into the way you message and the way you talk about political ideas? Well, I'm not sure it really um, adds that much. Uh, I was on another TV radio show, a podcast, in which I went into quite detail with libertarian theory, so now I need to stick to politics. I'm just sticking to basically what we know about politics, which is to get people excited about your message, to talk about what they want to talk. Really, it's more of a business aspect as opposed to psychological. But of course, it's hard to, you know, I I teach a class that involves persuasion, social psychology. So yes, in fact, just to mention, a lot of people have said, well, fear doesn't work. Actually, we know that fear does work, a moderate level of fear. And I think right now, good for us. The Democrats and Republicans are just using too high of a level of fear. So that will help us. I want to tick back the clock a little bit, not too far, just a couple of weeks uh, back to you actually winning the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. A lot of people didn't see you coming in many ways. Uh, you know, there were a lot of uh, the campaigns that had a lot of kind of fervent online support, uh, you might say, the Hornberger campaign, the Supreme campaign. Uh, but you came in there and you, you steadily built your lead every single round until you were the only one standing. So what do you think was the key to you actually winning that nomination? Uh, even though you might have had some some opponents that were uh, perhaps at least in the online sense, we all well now, we all know the internet doesn't always translate to real life. But in the online sense, had very large, enthusiastic, fervent constituencies. So how were you able to overcome the excitement surrounding those campaigns by building a coalition which enables you to win the nomination? Well, first, I'm not sure if he wants me to mention his name, but a former uh, national chair, uh, January fifth told me, I think at the end, it's going to come down between Hornberger and you. And what was amazing was Kim Ruff was actually in first place. And that was my question to him. But what about Kim Ruff? And he said, no, I think it's going to come down to Hornberger and you. So some of the older people, I don't want to say older people, older members, people with more experience, people who've been through this before, uh, they thought I had a good chance from the start. And of course, Steve Dosbach, former national chair and national executive director, he thought I would be a good candidate and thought we had a shot from the beginning. So he stuck with me. But I think what, you know, basically it's how I ended my debate at the, during the last week is I admired Jacob Hornberger for his strong stance of the libertarian platform, that this is something that I think we need to stick to. And we, you know, because if if we don't stick to our platform, now we're just a Republican or a Democrat. So absolutely, I think we need to stick to our ideals, our principles, our values. And on the other hand, you had Jim Gray, who was talking very practical, but I thought straying way too far from the platform. So basically, I was telling people, hey, you can have the best of both worlds. I am principled. I'm going to support the platform every bit as Jacob Hornberger would have. But I'm going to talk like Judge Gray. I'm going to talk reasonable to people to say, hey, wouldn't you like to have this in your life as opposed to just freedom, freedom, because people don't always understand. They, they can't make that connection. They don't know how freedom would make their life better. So I see that as my purpose. And I'd like to point out, I am a teacher. So I see my job as taking something very abstract, liberty and freedom, and putting it in everyday terms that people can understand and be won over by. During the campaign, you often highlighted how, along with Harry Brown, 
back in 1996. Uh, you helped grow the Libertarian Party and grow that membership base uh, more than ever before. And I think the last few campaigns, I mean, nobody can deny that Gary Johnson and Bill Weld got the, the most votes and got the highest percentage of votes and certainly were a huge help in getting ballot access. But one thing that didn't seem to change too much was the party membership itself. There wasn't really any growth through that campaign. So it's great to get votes. It's awesome to get better ballot access. But if we're not actually growing the party itself and exciting more people to get involved in the ideas, um, you know, then, then you know, where are we really going? You just kind of end up spin, spinning our wheels. Uh, it does seem like you, like you mentioned just there, really want to focus on education and, uh, and, and you know, actually informing the people out there what libertarian ideas are. How do you plan to do that in a way where you can get a consistent message out there and, you know, still be putting out the correct libertarian beliefs and staying true to the platform while garnering more votes, while doing the same thing that Gary Johnson and Bill Well did, which is get media attention and get more people to actually go there and click that ballot box, but to do it without really going off platform, as I think uh, most people can admit, probably even them, they went off platform quite a bit. Well, and, and here's the problem. In order to gain long-term members, and I can't tell you how gratifying it is and how many times this has happened at conventions since then, you know, even 2018, I had people coming up saying, you're the one who brought me into the party. I went and heard you talk and you're the one who brought me in. So that's so satisfying to see that they're still here. Here's the problem when you don't uh, present the platform is people might vote for you this one time around, but they haven't adopted the thinking or the ideas. And so then they might leave at the next election. So what my job is, is to sell the platform so that people say, wow, I really am a libertarian. I didn't realize I was a libertarian. And statistics have shown that there might be 40 to 45 million people out there who are either libertarian and haven't heard of us or they're libertarian and, uh, they've heard maybe the wrong thing about the Libertarian Party. And so that's my job is to show how, yes, the Libertarian Party is for everybody. And I think if we stay consistent to message so that people are won over by it and want to stay, then that will be the key. And I would like to point out, uh, yes, votes are important. So I'm not going to just say, well, all we need is membership. We absolutely need to keep the votes up for ballot access. And also I'd like to point out that, yes, we did beat uh, Gary Johnson out, but we got we got 8,500 uh, new members. He got 7,500 new members. So he was a close second for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. I want to kind of transition now to a world where Joe Jorgensen is the president, where you've actually achieved what would seem like the impossible, because regardless of the odds, because we all know that the odds aren't all that great, what people want to hear on the campaign trail, they always want to hear how would, what would you do if you actually were president? You know, they don't want to necessarily hear just the theory. They want to hear what you would do in action. So I'm, I'm curious right now, I mean, just, just even in the events that have taken place since the convention have been so, un, maybe not unprecedented in American history, but uh, unprecedented compared to what a lot of people expected was going to be happening right now. So how would you address what's happening right now if you were president? Um, not just what everything's been going on with coronavirus, but now that's where we're seeing major protests and major rioting and looting in major American cities all over the country. What would you do if you just found yourself taking office at this time, maybe like while this is still going on? Well, the first thing I would do is I would stop militarizing local police. You know, the idea of, uh, first of all, crime occurs at a local level. Police should be de dealing with crime at a local level, uh, robbery, assault, burglary, and so forth. That's not anything for the federal government to be involved in. Now, if you look at, um, at the states with their tanks and their you know, Uzis and all that, um, they, all of that 
most of that came from the federal government. A lot of people don't realize that the federal government is giving states and local police forces uh, military equipment, training, money for other equipment, and they have these joint task forces. So we get things like uh, no-knock laws. Here's, here's the thing I'd like to point out. If you ask the average town, you know, the townspeople of whatever town, whether it's 500 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people, would you want an increase in taxes to go out and buy a tank? I think the average citizen would say, no, I think, I think I'll keep that money and just, you know, have an extra dinner out every year instead of paying that. But what happens is the federal government takes that money from us, and then they go back and they ask the states and the local uh, governments, hey, do you want this free equipment? Sure, of course we do. <laughs> so, of course you want free. Everybody wants free. And the problem with having that equipment lying around, and okay, so here's some psychology uh, called the weapons effect. If you have uh, that firepower lying around, you are more likely to use it. And the reason they have it is because of the federal government. There's no way that people at a local level would have said, yes, my little town of 5,000 people needs a tank. So we need to end that with the federal government and get back to where police can be police and do what they're supposed to do and uh, work on you know what a true crime is. And of course, we're talking crimes that have actual victims. We need to get rid of the drug laws, uh, which if a peaceful drug user, there is no victim, there is no crime. Sex work, again, no victim, no crime. Simple uh, gun possession, gambling, anything like that. We need to get the police out of that so that we have just more of a harmonious world in which we're not always spying on our neighbors or sending the police out after every little thing. On that track, are there some specific actions you could take unilaterally as president uh, as far as executive orders go, just in terms of ending some of this stuff or even just maybe something as simple as just pardoning uh, people who have been convicted of drug use or just simple drug possession and that sort of thing. Are there steps you could take immediately without needing Congress to sort of send, start sending us down that path? Well, let me mention executive orders is something that's a little controversial within the Libertarian Party because some people say it's unconstitutional, we shouldn't use it. Other people like me say, tell you what, how about we use it to get rid of the unconstitutional stuff and then we'll get rid of executive powers because we should not have that around. But yes, I would pardon everybody who was convicted, who's in a federal prison for a crime in which there is no victim. In other words, no crime. So drug, sex work and so forth. Um, I would also tell the, uh, the Justice Department, I tell the Attorney General, don't even go after drug people because guess what? I'm going to let them out. You know, the day you put them in jail, I'm going to let them out. So just don't even go after that. I would work with Congress and say, we got to get rid of these laws. And a lot of people say, well, you can't do anything without Congress. And they're, they're correct for many of these laws. However, if I were elected president, that would be a clear mandate to them that this is what the people want. And I know one thing about government uh, politicians is they like their cush jobs. They want to stay at their jobs of power and they want to keep getting their, they want to keep getting paid. So I will send them the message, you better do what I want or your constituents are not going to vote you in again. And I'd like to point out one last thing, a really big first day in office, and that's to bring the troops home. As commander in chief, absolutely I could bring the troops home. And I would meet with the Pentagon on day one to say, okay, let's start lining up the planes and boats. Let's bring them home. 
Hey there, kitty cats. I need to take a quick time out here to tell you about another awesome libertarian podcast. This is our good friends, Nate and Charlie, over at Good Morning Liberty. These son of a guns, they do this thing five days a week, and they absolutely kill it. Uh, These guys are both musicians, and they both actually own a business working in the healthcare IT industry. So they've seen a lot of what goes on in a, a highly intervened in market like healthcare. So they have a lot of great insights, and they really do a bang up job talking about current events and really speaking to a lot of the news that's in the headlines and filtering it all through the ideas of liberty and kind of uh, shutting down socialist solutions that come up. So you can find more by subscribing on all your favorite podcasts app. Wherever you listen to this one, you can probably find, not probably, you can definitely find Good Morning Liberty, or you can check out their website, BernieLies.com. What a great name. Head over to BernieLies.com or search for Good Morning Liberty. You are not going to regret subscribing to this awesome show. President Trump has suggested a, a form of bringing the troops home, but the problem is he's 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 uh, suggesting bringing the troops home into American cities to deal with riots if uh, local states don't aren't able to get things under control. Uh, I, I have to presume I'm not even going to bother making it a question. I have to presume that is something you completely rule out. Yes, and I'd also like to point out that he ran with the idea of bringing the troops home, and all he's done is kind of like rearranging chess pieces. He'll take mm-hmm. people from one country put to another country, or he'll take soldiers out of one country and put drones in. And the right. problem with that is that we still have a presence. We still have a reason for the people in those countries to say, you know what, the Americans are getting in our way. They're our enemies. We need to go attack them. So we need to get out of there. And that's what's so ironic is the job of the military is to keep its uh, residents, to keep its citizens more safe. And by being in the Middle East, it's keeping us, it's making us less safe. Back to the subject of pardons for a minute. There's one specific case I want to ask you about because she was just on this program the other week. Uh, Lynn Ulbrick, the mother of Ross Ulbrick, she has been uh, petitioning for her son to gain gain clemency or gain a pardon from President Trump. I presume she'll be doing that with the next president. If that's you, that will be you. Uh, Have you looked into the Ross Ulbrick case enough to be able to say that you would, in fact, pardon Ross Ulbrick when you became president? Oh, absolutely. And I will come clean. I had heard the sanitized government version, Mm -hmm. and it looked like he was guilty, and Daryl Perry set me straight and said, you need to look into this further, and I did. And, you know, that's part of the problem, is that the government and the media control the narrative. And so looking into the facts with the gross misconduct of the Justice Department that absolutely he needs to be... um, pardoned. And I might even pardon him before bringing the troops home because for such a young guy, that is such a shame. You've got a very young, bright, industrious guy who can, you know, bring so many dollars into the economy and we've got him locked up. That is such a tragedy. You know, just, of course, it's a tragedy for him because he's spending his life behind bars, but it's a tragedy for the country as well. As you know, when you're out there discussing libertarian ideas, you're going to hear a lot of objections from people that, you know, they have a certain perception about what libertarianism is or what libertarian ideas are or what will happen if we just took the government out of so many different areas. I actually want to pass along something that one of our hosts here, John Odermatt, who hosts the Felony Friday program, passed along. This is actually something a liberal female co-worker sent to him uh, about the Libertarian Party, or I guess about your campaign specifically, since you're, you're the one representing that party right now. Uh, this is a copy and paste of what, of what his co-worker said. So I'm just going to see how you would respond to this sort of common thing you might hear out on the campaign trail. Uh, she said, I'm looking forward to the party 
party's response. I'm picturing this in somewhat of a sarcastic tone. Uh, I'm looking forward to the party's response on how to tackle the challenges of an uneducated or undereducated single mother who isn't ambitious and without the help of government-sponsored programs. Because if I didn't have ambition, I would not be where I am. So what would happen to the single parents who suffer from mental illness or other things that prevent them from bettering themselves and and from getting ahead without government help? I I think this sums up a, a general common criticism that people have out there where they see people in life that might be struggling or might need government programs right now and can't really wrap their head around how those sort of people would be able to get ahead in a society without those government programs. So how would you respond to that general concept? Well, we can look at it from two sides. And by the way, I would like to keep mental health out for just a minute because that's not the major problem of, you know, people in poverty. Uh, So two things. First of all, looking at getting a job. The government makes it so difficult to start your own business or to, you know, open up a company that you have to be ambitious to do it. So if, if you want to, for instance, start braiding people's hairs, but, you know, the classic example, uh, opening up a salon. Uh, yes, you have to be very ambitious and you have to have money because you have to pay for all the licensing, the registration. You may have to go through training, which doesn't even involve what you're doing. So for the average mom who says, yeah, I just want to work a couple hours a week. Guess what? Uh, under a libertarian, in a libertarian society, you would not have to spend all that money and jump through all those hoops. So you could do something easily on the side. Secondly, there are some people who do need charity. For instance, you've got a single mom with maybe a three-month-old baby uh, and a two-year-old. How does that person get helped? Once again, the free market does it so much better. And one of my favorite stories is, um, you know, in the early 90s, the United Way president spent something like $400,000 on fancy artwork. And the donors were outraged. And they said, you know, we didn't give you money to go buy artwork. We gave you money to help the people in need. And by the way, I'd like to point out $400,000 back then is closer to a million dollars today. So what happened was donations went down and the United Way had to work for it. They had to go out and convince donors that, yes, we've done a better job. Yes, we're going to get the money to those who need it. Now, look at the same thing in the government. What if the government spends too much on overhead? There's no accountability. They'll just simply raise taxes. They, they, we can't tell the government, you do such a lousy job that we're not going to give you our money anymore. We don't have that choice. So under a private system, we will get more money from those who want to give it to those in need. And one last point I'd like to make, and uh, somebody had uh, somebody came up with this a few decades ago, but it was, imagine you've got an inheritance, you know, whatever, $30,000. Let's say you're very well off and you figure, well, I don't need the money. I'll give it to somebody in need. And you think, well, should I give it to my local church? You know, churches are pretty good at helping the poor um, or need, you know, whether it's for education or whatever, or maybe look at private charity. Um, Would you ever say, you know, I think I'm going to give it to a federal government program. I mean, when most people hear that, they laugh because, no, of course you're not going to give your money to the government to start some program because you know they're going to be lousy at it. Um, Even though I'm not a fan of Bill Gates, especially with all the stuff he's been doing lately, um, I would rather turn my money over to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because I know even they would spend the money better than the government. So we need accountability. That's how the most people, that's how more people get helped. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, you ended up sort of building 
quite an uh, amazing coalition for your campaign uh, in the sense that you were sort of able to please all sides. Um, like you were able to get the endorsement of the Pragmatists Caucus yeah. while still putting out principles. You know, a lot of people would have thought that Judge Gray would end up getting their endorsement. Uh, at the same time, while you weren't the first pick of the Hornberger people or the Supreme people, it seems like you were at least the second or third pick for most of them because I've seen none of none of that crowd uh, upset about your nomination because at the same time, they're happy that you're someone out there who's been out there talking about the principles. So it's been a really impressive to see this kind of coalition come together. And uh, part of that coalition is, of course, having your VP candidate, Spike Cohen, who was part of the Supreme campaign and has a really huge following of his own. I'm sure you've heard some of the criticisms about his style, uh, his methods, uh, sometimes appearing with a shirt off maybe on a podcast. I'm just kind of curious how you have found working with Spike Cohen, working with his campaign, and how you're sort of integrating uh, his very different style than yours. I think I don't think you would deny that uh, into sort of one cohesive campaign. Are you, are you working with uh, a lot of the people from the Supreme and Cohen campaign and, and integrating into the, them to yours? How is that whole sort of a coalition working out? Well, first of all, the presidential candidate and vice presidential candidate often campaign to two different groups. You know, why have both of us at one event when we can have us each at a different event? We, we reach twice as many people. But, you know, a lot of people don't... You know, the, the surface is a little different than what's underneath. And people probably don't realize that, first of all, Spike is not as much of a partier as most people realize. <laughs> that, uh, in fact, I know he eats very healthily and he owned his own company and sold it. So He's got to eat healthy if he's going to have his shirt off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good point. Um, uh, so so to, to build a business – you have to have dedication and perseverance, and you have to be a hard worker. I, on the other hand, uh, yes, I look all corporate. However, my husband, who's younger than I am, has hair longer than mine and is a groomer. So, you know, uh, maybe we're a little more alike than most people realize. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he's a little uh, little more straight and narrow than some people realize. And maybe you're a little cooler than some people realize. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say cooler because I, I, I... You're not going to go that far. I, I, I can only dream. That would be awesome if I could be cool. But no, I will never be cool, but I will try to at least not be so geeky. But let me point out, or let me add to what you were saying earlier about the Pragmatic Caucus. Yes, I received a B rating from the Radical Caucus, right, and yeah. nobody got higher than a B who were in the final last couple of weeks of debates. So I had, you know, tied for the highest uh, radical. So yes, I had, I had uh, support from both sides. And that just shows that we can present our ideas in a way that people will understand them and people will hopefully vote for them. Because right. our I- ideas, I'd like to quote somebody else, that liberty is right and liberty works. So morally, it's the correct answer. And it's the best solution. All right. I mean, to me, the correct libertarian message is one that is both equally principled and pragmatic, because if you really break it down, they're the same thing. If the principles are true and the principles are work, then applying them is the pragmatic step. So I'm glad that we actually have a candidate here who seems to be really pleasing all sides uh, by sticking to the principles and by presenting pragmatic solutions at the same time. It's rare that we see all of that in one package. So I think that's why you're seeing so yeah. much support, especially since the nomination. Maybe some people who supported Ver- uh, no, Vermin's 
Supreme, Jacob Hornberger, Adam Kokesh. Maybe you weren't their first choice and they were disappointed initially uh, by their candidate not winning, but I've seen so many people coalesce around you and around the campaign, especially with the addition of Spike Cohen, and especially with, honestly, I think your messaging has seemed even more hardcore since you got the nomination. It's almost like you got emboldened by getting this nomination because since that time, you've just been spitting fire out there. Well, no, I, I mean, these are this is what I believe since 1996. I mean, I've never strayed from the platform. I know there, you know, there were some misconceptions out there, uh, but I would like to point out that, yes, I did have some phone calls from Jacob Hornberger's people. They were very gracious and they said, you know, we're glad we've got somebody who supports the platform. So, you know, we're glad we have you. Um, but I don't think I've become any harder. I'm trying, you know, again, I'm trying to present a practical message. However, this is kind of an interesting story. If you haven't interviewed Spike yet, he said that after he got the nomination, his, you know, he and the, you know, his group, they were like, you know, oh, geez, let's go look up her platform and see how much <laughs> we have to water down our message. Right. And so they went to my website and they're like, huh, troops on check, huh, no income check, right. check. And it was like, oh, my gosh, she is hardcore. But but so on the one hand, that just shows how successful I was in presenting a reasonable message. And I can present that same reasonable message to Americans. Now, on the other hand, I wasn't too happy that people thought I was perhaps a little watered down. But you know what? Um, I'm here now and I'm ready to go out and tell the American people that we have the best option. Speaking of that coalition and, you know, speaking with the Hornberger campaign, this is just a rumor that I've heard. So I don't know if it's true or not, but I know that some people would love to see it. But there's rumors abound that perhaps you might be open to receiving advice, particularly in the foreign policy area, from a certain favorite libertarian podcaster out there. No, not me, uh, but a guy named Scott Horton. A lot of people have been pushing him. I know he was advising Jacob Hornberger, and a lot of people have been pushing him along to be uh, giving you advice as well as far as foreign policy. Have you had, is there any light you can shed on, on those rumors? Is there any truth to the idea that you might be accepting advice from Scott Horton and perhaps some other you know, libertarian luminaries? out there? I didn't talk with him ahead of time. Perhaps I should say I will neither confirm nor deny. Okay. <laughs> but, but I got to tell you, yes, no, I have had conversations with Scott. He, he is right. awesome. And he is a true libertarian. He just wants his ideas out there. And what's funny is that I've been on so many different podcasts meeting so many people and they all say the same thing. Have you talked to Scott Horton yet? <laughs> But yes, he it's was like one. every third question when I post questions uh, for you. Yes. So, yes, he was one of the uh, Hornberger people who reached out to me. Now, he's not officially on my campaign, but he said, look, I just want my message of liberty out there. And since you're the nominee, I'm going to give it to you because I want to see it out there. And in fact, in my conversations with him, I think I, I said to him no fewer than half a dozen times, you have a you have great messaging and you have a great way of putting things. Why aren't you running for president? You know, uh, I think you would be a great. I, I know that's something a lot of people would love to see uh, down the road too, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. So he's so not only is he good with policy, but he knows how to put it in a no nonsense common sense way that people can understand as opposed to some lofty abstract ideal because that's what we need for the American people. You know, I think we've already attracted everybody who's interested in the abstract, like people like me. <laughs> um, and now we need to just put it in plain English. And that's where I hope my teaching is going to help me since 
Like I said, that's my job. I take the abstract and teach it in a way people can understand. Well, along those lines, the last thing I want to ask you is, what is your pitch to the American people out there that are so caught up in the left-right divide? I mean, this is the biggest thing I see out there whenever I bring up anything about a third-party candidate or, or even considering just not voting for Republicans and Democrats. And you get this every four years, every single time you hear the same thing, that this is the most important election of our lifetime, just like it was four years ago and four years before that and the four years before that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and people that insist that, you know, if, if you must vote for Joe Biden in order to stop Trump or the reverse, if you don't vote for Trump, you're giving the election to Joe Biden. How do you battle this attitude that is so seemingly ingrained in the American population? How do you get people to wake up? Uh, how do you get people to keep dreaming and get get dreaming, like you kind of mentioned earlier, and, and break out of this idea that if, if one thing is bad, you have to choose the other side, um, which, which we all know is pretty much equally as bad. How do you get them to finally break out of that spell and go ahead and not just not just go ahead to the voting booth and vote for libertarians? Uh, but like you said, join the party, actually accept this ide- ideology and become active supporters of these ideas. Well, the first thing I would point out to them is, of course, you have to pick sides because the government is so big. You have to help Uh, You know, you have to pick a side in order to get what you want. If we look, for instance, back in the 1930s and 40s, Congress was notorious for being underhanded, for just being dishonest, uh, bribes and everything. But nobody cared because people got to make their own decisions. People got to spend their own money. Now, what happens is we've got a country in which if you want your kid to go to a school that you want you know, you know, whether religion, Pledge of Allegiance, or so on. If you want the kind of health care you want, if you want the kind of, um, you know, who gets your charity money, all of those, you have to go to the government. And what I would tell those people is it doesn't have to be that way. What I will do is I will restore the power to you. Right now, I look at voting as an act of self-defense. Actually, I should say voting libertarian is an act of self-defense. You know, the only way that you get control out of your money is to have a libertarian in office. And so I would tell people that wouldn't it be great instead of, you know, if you're a Democrat, wouldn't it be great that instead of having to fight the Republicans who are always trying to put religion in your schools, who are trying to have this kind of health care, would it be great if you got to keep your money and you got to have the kind of education you wanted for your kids? And then I would tell the same thing to the Republicans. Wouldn't it be great if you wanted religion in your schools that, you know, instead of having to fight the Democrats, you get to keep your money and you get to send your children to the kind of school you want to go to? So it doesn't have to be that way. We can go back to having a society in which we get to make our own choices instead of having the federal government make those choices for us. There actually is one more pitch I want you to make. That's that's a pitch to the American people, the people that aren't you know interested in libertarian ideas right now. But there's also a pitch you have to make to a certain segment of libertarians out there. There are many libertarians out there who are simply who simply don't see any value in the political end of things. Who don't see any value in getting involved in the libertarian party. And obviously, everybody has to follow their own interests, their own desires. But what's your pitch to people out there who maybe up till now maybe they just thought the libertarian party is a joke. Maybe they weren't happy with what they saw from Gary Johnson or from Bill Weld or Bob. Bars of the past and have kind of written off the Libertarian Party as a vehicle uh, for spreading the message. What's your pitch to those people to say, hey, look, maybe you didn't like what's happened the last few cycles, but this is why right now you should get excited about the, the political process. You should jump on board this campaign and help spread the message through this political channel. 
Well, I would say, like it or not, you're already involved in the political process because guess what? They are taking your money and they are spending it. They are making their decisions. So don't you want that decision back? And I would suggest that um, the only wasted vote is, for, is voting for something that you don't want. So what I would say is get back your control. The only way you're going to get control is by uh, formally getting in there and voting. All right, well, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, congratulations once again on becoming the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee. I'm really looking forward to your campaign. Like I said, there's been so much excitement building around it since you won that nomination. I'm really excited to see where this thing goes. Uh, before I let you go, I'll let you uh, just do one little roundabout of how people can find more information about your campaign, how they can get involved, and feel free to plug away on, on anything else you'd like. Although I think I think running for president is probably enough plugs for you. <laughs> yes. Well, please go to joj2020.com. Again, that's joj2020.com. And I would like to point point out that yes, as my campaign promise was, we are working closely with National. We're meeting with them every week. We're trying to make sure we share data and and. Um, and have compatible computer systems. So we're helping each other out. And I think we're going to be very successful this year. So joj2020.com. Thanks so much. Dr. Jorgensen, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring and best of luck with the campaign. Thanks. You keep on roaring yourself, Mark. Thanks. Oh, I will. All right, kitty cats, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the Libertarian Party's 2020 presidential nominee, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. It was a pleasure to have her on and actually get to hear just her perspective instead of trying to manage, you know, five or six different voices like we did in the debates. But I wish her the best. I mean, from as far as I can tell and as far as everything I've heard her say, she is a solid libertarian and I see no reason to not get behind her unless you are just one of those people that wants to stay out of the political process for whatever reason and doesn't find uh, joy in that end of things, and I can certainly see why that would be the case, but if you're going to be in the political arena, I can't think of anybody out there representing the values on the presidential level uh, like Dr. Joe Jorgensen is. So that's what I will say about her campaign specifically. And aside from that, if you are a first-time listener, or maybe you listen all the time, but you just forgot, it's not just me here every Monday. There are three of us, three very unique shows here on Lions of Liberty, the greatest libertarian variety show on earth. You've got myself, Mark Claire, here every single Monday with the flagship show where I interview leaders in the libertarian movement, such as Dr. Joe Jorgensen. I also host the occasional fun-loving drunken roundtable when we do libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. And then on Wednesdays, Brian hits you with his special brand of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up with his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You gotta go back and listen to last Friday's episode where he breaks down his six recommendations for criminal justice reform in the face of everything that's been going on with the George Floyd protests, with the riots, and and all the craziness we've been seeing out there right now. Uh, As far as our schedule goes, however, because it's these lockdown times, because I'm here in Mexico just podcasting away, you're going to get a little bonus content from me, uh, including tomorrow I'm going to run a live stream I did last week with Michael Cheney of The Michael Cheney Show. you got to follow our Facebook, by the way, so you can get these live streams at facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. I also always share them in our forum, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your little search bar on Facebook and join uh, one of those most vibrant libertarian online communities out there. But Michael Cheney has done a ton of research on coronavirus, on the statistics out there, on the lockdowns, and I brought him on to talk about that. Of course, since the time I had invited him on, a ton of other stuff had been going down with the riots, uh, the police abuse that we've been seeing, and he's also been working a lot on compiling video and footage and evidence of all the police abuse going on as well. So this is a very timely interview, 
and I wanted to make sure that that got out in the public feed. So that's going to be running tomorrow. So come right back here for another bonus episode of Lions of Liberty before we get back on schedule. I also had an amazing interview with a guy named Vin Armani. A lot of you guys have heard him out there over the years, and that is going to air a week from today. Pride members, our supporters on Patreon, already got that thing. Let me tell you, this is Vin's last appearance for quite some time. He's made that very clear in the interview. He does not plan to be doing libertarian media or talking about politics for quite a while, if ever. So this is a must listen. You can hear it right now by heading over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and joining the Pride at $5 or higher a month, at which level you can access all of our bonus audio content. So be sure to check that out. And I want to remind you guys, 10% of all our Patreon earnings are going to our friends at DonorSea to fund various projects that they have out there to help people affected around the world, specifically in third world countries with the economic lockdowns. We were just able to fully fund a project to provide clean water to a clinic in Malawi, which I believe is the poorest country in the world. It's usually in the either number one or number two, somewhere around there. So I'm so excited that some of this money we're able to use for such amazing causes. Our friends at DonorSea do amazing work. Please do check out everything they're doing. And specifically to see those projects, you can head over to DonorSea.com slash coronavirus. My friends, my Liberty Kitty Cats, my countrymen, be sure to tune back here tomorrow for a very special bonus episode with Michael Cheney. And until then, I will just ask you for at least a day or so to live long and live free.